0: That's, for me, a picture of church. <laughs> Not that we dance that well, but uh, that, that's a picture of church, really. I think, wouldn't it wouldn't be great, you know, a small group of people who've got something so alive and so contagious and so incredible that they just can't be exuberant about it. And then a few people start watching on and see what, you know, and then they get, they get, you know, grouped by that and then they join in and then the next lot and the next lot until the whole station was full. The whole community, the whole world is full of happy joyful exuberant life-filled people for me that's a great image of what church should be like some of the songs maybe not don't you wish your girlfriend was like me or whatever it was but yes I just think that's a great picture of how I how I see the church and how the church can be and life is for sharing isn't it the church is for sharing God is for sharing Jesus is for sharing the exuberant life that he's put within us is for sharing but we don't do we So I want to address that a little bit with you this morning, is what is it that stops us sharing? And I think, obviously, because we're in this series of being too busy, I think a factor in that is the busyness of our lives. Sorry, youth, I was meant to give you your cue at the end of that clip. Have a great morning. won't be quite as great as it is up here, but (laughs) no, it will be, sorry, that really didn't come out right. That was supposed to be funny, not horrible. I'm sure they'll do far better down there. back on track. I'll be doing some repair work I think on Monday. So yeah just to give you an example of how kind of real this works out in practice. Um, I had a, an experience that kind of came to mind when I looked at this subject and um, I thought about about eight, ten years ago. I used to be involved with a, a conference that happened once here. year. Leon was also involved in it and uh, I used to go down periodically to um, a big office in London called the Evangelical Alliance, and we used to have meetings, and it was to do with, because I was on the committee for a conference called the Evangelist Conference, and uh, this was a national conference that happened every year in December at Swanwick, which is a, just a retreat place, about three or 400 people used to go there from all over the nation, and who were involved in evangelism or had an outreach heart. And I was involved with that. Leon was involved with that. And on this particular day, I'd uh, been down to a meeting, a committee meeting for the National Evangelists Conference. And uh, we'd spent all day talking about evangelism and how we can inspire churches and how we can support evangelists and how we can reach this nation for Jesus Christ. And obviously, it was a buzzing meeting. It was exciting. It was full of energy and passion. And we were, yeah, let's go save the world for Jesus by the end of it. And then what happened was I then got the tube across London and got to Euston, prepared myself, like I've done my day, I've been up early, I've been to London, had a long meeting, now it's Janet time, okay, I've been at work, now it's my time. I've got two hours from Euston to uh, Birmingham International, so I got myself set up with my nice large cappuccino, probably a big chocolate bar, and then um, a, a magazine, Heat, to be honest, it was Heat magazine to give you my reading quality. So I'd set myself up for my two hours with my chocolate, my cappuccino, and my cheap, trashy magazine. And uh, the train was literally just about to pull out of the station when she arrived on the train, and I saw her going along the platform with masses of bags. And I just, you know, when you just know. And she got on the train and. Um, uh, fortunately, I had managed to acquire a whole four-person little compartment-y thing, you know, all to myself. The rest of the train, the compartment was very busy. I happened to go in, thought, oh, lovely, all to myself. I could spread myself out, magazine, cappuccino, two hours, my whole little booth all to myself. This is going to be a beautiful thing. And Loud Woman arrived on the plane, on the plane, on the train, trains, planes, and automobiles, arrived on the train with her masses of shopping and was going along the down the co- you know, the middle bit went boom, 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 boom on people's heads, going, sorry, 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 oh, sorry, sorry, excuse me, excuse me a seat, and I just thought, I just know where this lady is going to sit, and I know you wouldn't do this, but I did what I did, I put my head down as much as I possibly could, and I put my heat mags into one side, and I quickly picked up my important business papers, and I got out my pen and my phone, and tried to look incredibly intelligent, and busy, and corporate, and just too busy. I tried to bluff my way through this experience that was coming my way. And uh, this lady, sure enough, plonked herself very loudly in the seat directly opposite me and started before she'd even sat down talking at me. And I did, I'm not listening. I have very important papers to read as long as I possibly could bear that difficult moment until finally I looked up. And engaged with this lady, who at that precise moment pulled out of her bag saying, Do you know anything about this? and pulled out a Why Jesus booklet. <laughs> a red Why Jesus booklet. And to be honest, I went, Why? Why Jesus? Why now? Why me? Yes. There's honesty for you. So I'd spent all day talking about evangelism how me and the rest of this posse were going to save the nation for Jesus. A lady comes and sits opposite me and asks me, do you know anything about this? And I wanted to say, no. (laughs) I wanted to say, I've got a magazine to read. That's really important. I've got a cappuccino to drink. I've had a busy day doing evangelism all day go ask someone else. <laughs> Fortunately, God stopped me there and got me back on track. And I then had an amazing two-hour conversation with this lady all the way to Birmingham, thinking she, oh, she might get off at the next stop. I'm still not quite there, you see. I'm thinking, okay, quick conversation to, you know, wherever, Wimbledon or somewhere, and she'll be out, or even Coventry, but no, Birmingham International all the way. And because she was so loud, the whole carriage heard our conversation. I was going, we see when God sent Jesus. Oh, when God sent Jesus. Yes. Yeah, so it was. It was announced around the whole carriage. So the whole carriage got to hear my gospel presentation, and uh, and they were all saved by New Street. There you go. No. But I tell you that to just to say that's the reality, isn't it? E- even me, and I say that not in any kind of, you know. Weird sense, but just the fact I have a real passion for lost people, I have a real passion to share the gospel with people. But even me, someone who's supposedly, you know, up there for it, then had that moment of, Why me? Why now? And we're like that, aren't we? Because we're too busy. We're too busy sometimes to share. And that's really what I want to speak into. Um, this morning, I'll probably go through it as, as uh, quickly. They're kind of quick bullet points, some I'll expand a little bit more. So why is busyness such a barrier? Well, my story kind of illustrated it. Busyness is a real barrier to us sharing either practically, you know, walking across a room, extending a conversation over the, over the neighbour's fence, inviting someone along, sharing, you know, the truth of the gospel when you have a moment. Busyness is a barrier to that because we get distracted Our minds get consumed with so many things. We become very focused on all the demands, the pressures, the expectations, the responsibilities, the to-do list. And all of that basically means we primarily become of central importance. All of that busyness suddenly means we become the most important person in our world. And therefore, there's no capacity for anyone else. There's no heart. There's no interest. There's no love. There's no response to anything or anyone else. So what do we do? We all probably acknowledge that we're busy people, we have busy lives, some more than others, some less than others, but we all have busyness that's an issue in our lives and that stops us from reaching out, from sharing, from connecting to people. So what do we do? Well, those are the, these are two responses that I think we perhaps first go to and I've done this and probably we all do at different times. First of all, we can try and ignore the signs. I took this picture w- whilst driving, so I don't recommend my method of driving, with my mobile phone out the window. So this picture of a uh, speed camera, fortunately that wasn't working at the time, because that would have been an interesting picture. <laughs> <laughs> and the front page of the hail of News, church worker driving and taking pictures at the same time, is arrested. Um, but this is a picture of a speed camera near Neverton, near Aldi, not at all this time, and... Um, you know, I saw this and again it just as soon as I saw it, I thought, that's it, isn't it? You know, when we what a speed camera does, it tries to say, it tries to slow us down, isn't it? It's something that's supposed to help us slow down. But rather than slowing down, what do we do? We take it out, we set fire to it, so we can keep going fast. We ignore the things that are there that are trying to say, hello, your life is too busy, it's going too fast. So, what are the responses we can have to our busyness? And a message about sharing is, well, I'll just ignore it. I'll go, la, 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 I can't hear that. I'm too busy. So your family may be saying something. Your work may be saying something. God may be speaking to you saying, you're too busy for other people. And yet, we go, la, 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 I'm just going to ignore the signs. I'm going to take them out. Anyone that tries to tell me that, I'm going to take them down. We take them out. We take them down. Secondly, either we ignore the signs or we try and increase our capacity. And my fear for this morning in, in saying come on guys, we need to be people that share, was that you'd all feel, oh my gosh, there's something else I've got to do. I'm already busy, I'm already overlaid, and I'm already burnt out with so much stuff, and you're now going to try and encourage me to do more. And a couple of weeks ago, I was listening to um, a sermon on CD, and it was just a fantastic uh, preach by by a lady from another church. And uh, I, I kind of knew where she was going, but there was something that didn't quite sit with me. And she was preaching from, uh, is Isaiah 54, yes, Isaiah 54. On the bus, it says, enlarge the place of your tent, stretch wide your tent pegs. And it was an encouragement, you know, to, to do more, to, to have greater capacity. And she used an illustration, which obviously I couldn't see because I was just listening to it on CD, but I presume she had it there in practice, was of um, a, a loose-leaf table. And I, I kind of almost could picture her going across to it. And she had what I, a, I thought must be a table that was laid out absolutely rammed full to the to the brim, you know, of stuff on this table. And she was basically saying, look, God is saying enlarge your tent, spread wide, and you all, church, have got greater capacity than you know. So what she must have done was then took the, the leaves at the side and propped them up, and therefore there was greater capacity on the table. And I thought, yeah, I, I, I agree probably with where she's going, but it did strike me, is, is that the message that we're sending? are we saying yes your life is rammed but hey let's just stretch you a little bit further and ram some more stuff in your life and that is not sustainable is it because you can pull this leaf out and you can pull this leaf out and if you've got one of those really clever tables where you can slide it and there's a special one underneath or in the middle that pops up suddenly you've got a much bigger table suddenly your capacity is a lot bigger but how sustainable is that and where does that stop if we just keep increasing and feeling condemned that we're not doing enough and feeling judged because we're not doing enough, there is a limit, isn't there? I don't think that's the answer. I think the scripture's great. I think it has loads of great meanings in it about us enlarging and stretching and expectant of God, but I'm not sure it's about us increasing our capacity. So I don't think either of those responses, either going la, 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 I'm not listening to this message because I am too busy, or I've just got to do more, is either... The right response. I'm going to come back to some suggestions about perhaps a different way forward in just a moment. I just want to highlight, though, three things. (coughs) Sorry. Why is it vital that, in spite of our busyness, we are still people that share? Because an easy response is, well, I'm just too busy. I can't do anything about it. I just can't go there. I'm just too busy and I've got no capacity for anything else. But it's vital. It's vital for us as human beings that we find the way forward in terms of being able to share. Socrates said, beware the barrenness of a busy life. What a great quote. Beware the busyness of a, no, the barrenness, I've done what I did in the week. Beware the barrenness of a busy life. And I was talking to Lisa, who's on staff in the week. I was saying to her, it's beware the busyness of a barren life. And she was going, what? Beware the busyness of a barren life. Why is that good, Janice? Wrong way around. Beware the barrenness of a busy life. And in the medical profession, they look for vital signs of life, don't they? And I wonder if God sometimes looks at our life and looks for vital signs of life. Not just that we're busy, but is there life in that busyness? You know, and and John 10 says that Jesus said, I have come that you will have life in all its fullness or or in in all abundance. You know, and I don't think God's saying, I want you to have a really full rammed life. He's saying, I want you to have an abundant life. Very different Not a crammed, busy, hectic, frenetic, rammed, full life, but actually something that's got abundance about it. That's got, like the video, joy and exuberance and energy about it. There's a big difference, isn't there, between a busy, barren life and an abundant, life-energised kind of life. Tony Curtis, in one of his last interviews, uh, an actor that died 29th of September, he said, life is a visit And we're all on a time limit, so let's make wise choices. He was in his 80s, wasn't he, when he died. But life is a visit and we're all on a time limit. Let's make wise choices. Even in our busyness, let's make wise choices about what we're busy about. Secondly, (coughs) it's vital that we continue to share because it gives us a priority pause in our life. In Mark 8, Jesus is addressing the crowd and he's saying, what does it benefit you if you gain the whole world and yet lose your soul, what does it gain you? If you busy yourself away, and actually you've lost who you really are and who you were meant to be in the process. Rob Parsons, who we had the privilege of uh, spending some time with this week, he's written a number of books, and in one of his books, which is to do with the business world and about success, uh, he says, "Ensure." um, Sorry, so many people climb the ladder only to realise it's leaning against the wrong wall. I think how many people in business do that? They're so busy accelerating their career, and at the end of their life, they're going to find their ladder was leaning against the wrong wall. Steve Covey, another guy who uh, wrote a book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, says so many people, in all of their busyness, are just effectively rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. Another great quote. We can be so busy, and actually, it's about something that's disastrous. It's not going anywhere, it's doomed, and we can be incredibly busy people, can't we? But is it really meaningful? Has it got purpose? Really, should it have the priority in our life? Third quote in this little section from C.S. Lewis. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the eternal world that they have become so ineffective in this And as if you're a Christian this morning, our lives are in an eternal purpose, aren't they? So we can't just be busy about temporal things. Our lives have an eternal context. And we have to carry that in our heads so that we make sure we're busy about the right kind of things. Thirdly, and a really important point, and obviously there was loads more that could be made. It's vital that we have the capacity to share our lives with other people because it pleases God. Hebrews 13. Verse 15 and 16 say, therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name, goes on to say, and don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. So yes, our praise pleases God, but equally us sharing with other people, doing good to those in need, sharing the gospel, people, all of that brings joy and pleasure to the heart of God. And I want to live a life that pleases God. I don't want to live just a busy life. And he'd go, well, you missed it, Janet. Actually, that was all busy, but it wasn't great. So here's, here's a suggestion of another approach, rather than just ignoring the signs or trying to increase your load. Three suggestions of perhaps a different way of trying to ensure that in the busyness of our lives, in spite of it, it's vital that we still have the capacity to share. Firstly, do what you can do. Do what you can do. Not what you think you can do, what you think you should do, what you think someone else can do and you can therefore do. Do what you can do. And a couple of weeks ago, Dan's life group notes that's following his sermon on uh, taken too busy to uh, invest, he got us to look at the parable of the talents. And uh, some of you will be familiar with that story, some of you maybe not, if this is all new to you. And basically it's a story about a guy who goes away and he, he leaves some of his inheritance with... Three different people. He he gives five bags to one, three bags of silver to another, and one. He goes away. They invest it in different ways, and he comes back and kind of holds them account for what they've done. And I've I've heard that story, you know, many times. In fact, we did a big thing on it a few years ago, and we gave away lots of money. And you, with your talents, your own personal creativity, magnified that, and we ended up being able to release a lot more money to the poor. And uh, so that that kind of story is familiar, but I saw something afresh that Tuesday night with my life group. And it's verse 15 where it says, he gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, one bag of silver to the last. Yep, been there, heard that, got that. This was the bit that I hadn't seen before. Dividing it in proportion to their abilities. Dividing it in proportion to their abilities. Ability. So he knew what he was asking them to do was appropriate for them. So the chappy that had the one, I thought, well, I'll just dig a hole because I don't know what to do with it. No wonder he was a bit frustrated. The man when he came back, he said, But I gave you what you could do, but you didn't do anything with it. It's not just about the fact you buried it. And I guess you know, I want to encourage this one and say, just do what you can do. You may not be a five five bag kind of person. You may not have loads of time, loads of resources, loads of creativity, loads of talent, loads of skill, loads of connections. You may just feel like, well, I'm a a one-bag person. Well, do what you can do with that. Do what you can do. Don't feel the pressure to be something that you're not. When I first joined You for Christ, uh, Roy Crown, who was my boss at the time, he said to me very early on, Janet, don't try to be Billy Graham, don't try to be Mother Teresa, just try to be Janet. Be the best version of you that you can be. Because I was an evangelist and I wanted to be Billy Graham. I was saved under Billy Graham's ministry. I became a Christian at a Billy Graham event and I wanted to be someone that saw thousands of people come to faith. And he said, Janet, just be you. How releasing was that? I didn't have to suddenly become something that I wasn't. Just do what you can do. God doesn't expect you to do what you can't. Just do what you can do. Secondly, follow God's lead. Uh, When Jesus Christ was about to leave his disciples on earth, he said to thee, I'm going to go, but the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and give you power to enable you to witness. So we, as Christians, we have God's Holy Spirit at work in us, empowering us to share. It's there. It's resident within us. We don't have to try to manufacture something. It's there within us. And in Galatians 5, it says this, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So since the Spirit is living within us, let us follow it in every part of our lives. And it made me think, well, okay, so when I'm interacting with God myself, I, I, you know, I listen and I'm reading the Bible and I'm perhaps when I'm worshipping, I'm driving the car and having a chat to God. A lot of that is to do with me trying to respond to what God is saying to me about my life, or about my job, or about the church, or, you know, it's me interacting with God and trying to respond to the promptings I feel God is nudging in my life. But what about if I then translated that into my dealings with other people, and I worked more rather than trying to manufacture and shoehorn situations, rather than just responding to the Holy Spirit's promptings, and went with the flow of what God was doing through me and in someone else's life, let me just read you something Um, from this book, Bill Hybels, uh, the church that uh, Leon went to the 35th anniversary of from Willow Creek, uh, one of our recommended books for the month. He explains this in a really fantastic way. One afternoon, before I was to speak at our midweek service, I dropped into a local place to get a haircut. As I sat in my car outside the shop, I said out loud, God, if you want anything to happen in there, If you want me to say a word for you or try to help me meet someone's need, then for the next 20 minutes or so, please know that I am ready. My heart is ready. I am completely available. Wouldn't that be a great place to start your day? Today, the next 24 hours, God, I am available. Use me. My heart is ready. I'm open to listening to you. Just, I'm ready and available. I walked in and was led by the receptionist to an open chair. I didn't know the woman who began cutting my hair, but there really wasn't time for introductions. (coughs) She was hip deep in a rapid-fire conversation with the hairdresser and client immediately to my right. It was unlike anything I'd ever witnessed. They covered everything from weather to culture to politics to Oprah in eight minutes flat. My eyes darted back and forth watching uh, the co- a conversation form of Wimbledon unfold before my eyes. In my humble opinion, I had zero chance even acknowledging that they'd come up, even acknowledging that they would have to come up for air eventually there was no way that i could wedge something into that conversation with any relational intelligence i mean if you felt like that where well, you just know you're desperately looking for an opening silently i kept reminding god of my offer god i really am open but this conversation isn't i sense no opening here and if i try to shoehorn a christian witness into this situation i honestly think i'll do more harm than good when she finished my haircut, I thanked her, gave her a tip, and told her I sincerely appreciated her help, given how little she had to work with. Oh, I finally, I've read that so many times, and I finally got it. <laughs> it's just quite worrying. With that, I walked out of the shop. Now, based on the information I've given you, how do you think I felt after that experience? Disappointed? Defeated? Perhaps. Or maybe I just felt I'd thrown a bad spiritual dice. Believe it or not, I didn't. You see, I was open to the movement of the Holy Spirit from, that, from the moment I walked in, and yet I sensed nothing that prompted me to probe, say, or do anything. I'd been willing to see, hear, and feel what the Spirit wanted me to see, hear, and feel, but frankly, I saw, heard, and felt nothing. Isn't that so releasing? So releasing that actually you can feel the pressure that every single moment you've got, you've got to be shoehorning the gospel in somehow. And actually, when God's not moving, you don't have to move. Great release. And then he conversely shares this story. Now contrast that occasion with a far different kind of experience. Frequently I hide out in a particular restaurant to work on my talks. And for some time now the same woman has been my server. She is an older woman with a daughter in her 20s. Based on my frequent conversations with her, I'd say that she's from another ethnic background, hails from a different part of the world, and follows a completely different faith system. And she's never ever darkened the doorstep of Willow Creek. As I say, that's his church. And that she probably has never heard a Christian witness in her entire life. On this particular afternoon, I was preparing a talk for the upcoming Christmas Eve services. At one point, I looked up, saw her across the restaurant as she was addressing a table and was reminded of how faithfully and conscientiously she had served me every time I'd camped out there. I heard the directive so clearly in my spirit that it may as well have been audible. And this is him saying what he felt he heard. If she were to die any time soon... She'd probably live apart from God for the entirety of eternity. He said, get up, walk across the room, invite her to the Christmas Eve service. Just stand up and go talk to her. So as you'd expect from a spiritual heavyweight like me, I stayed seated. <laughs> and opted for debating with the Holy Spirit instead. She's not going to come to a Christian Eve service, I pleaded. She's got a whole different deal going on. Well, you can guess who won that debate. My mind was flooded with memories of the conversations she and I had shared over time, interspersed with a few convicting thoughts like, well, she knows who I am. and She knows what I do for a living. And throughout all of our exchange, I've been so careful not to badger her or guilt her to come to church. Maybe just this once, I need to be bold. After taking a deep breath, I approached her. I said, you know, I've been very careful not to bother you in a religious kind of way when I'm here. I'd like to invite you and your daughter to our Christmas Eve service. I think you'd enjoy it, but please know I'm really not trying to mess with your mind or with your faith. I just want you to know that you'd be really welcome if you chose to. I can find a way to get you tickets. So I made a provision for her regarding the tickets, and I went back to my table, assuming she would not come. Six weeks later, I walked in again, prepared to hash through some sermon work, and she immediately bounded up to me, saying, I loved your Christmas Eve service. I was there, my daughter was there, and loved it too. It was the first time she'd ever heard anything like it. Then she dropped her key line on me. I understood everything you talked about. I understood the whole service. I really want to thank you for inviting us. After I picked myself up off the floor, I told her what an honour it was that she'd spent Christmas Eve with us, and once again I considered God's providence. How does this stuff happen? What is this mystical ability of God's to draw people to himself? While I'll never fully understand it, it's such a high privilege to be part of God's activity in the lives of others. Friends, sometimes there will be a wide open door and sometimes there won't. Remember being walk across the room kind of people means that we walk when the Spirit tells us to walk and we don't walk when the Spirit says no. This dynamic is what makes the adventure mystical and unpredictable, exhilarating and God-driven. It is what keeps us on Christian's life's exciting edge. Isn't that a great story? Because it's so releasing, isn't it? Somebody like Bill Hybels, who, you know, as we've already heard today, runs this mega church, and yet there's the release there in knowing, actually, how about if we could just get in the groove with God's Holy Spirit? You see, when I'm sitting there thinking I need to shoehorn something there, God knows the other person. He knows where they're at relationally, financially, situationally, work-wise, spiritually, and I may be trying to be battering them with something that they just are not ready to hear But maybe if God's Holy Spirit prompts me and I go with that, he knows their heart. He can see in their heart. He knows where they're at. He knows financially, relationally, work-wise, where they're at, and spiritually. He may know right at that moment they're really open. There's an open window there. What about if we became responsive and receptive to the promptings of God's Holy Spirit and went with it? No hesitation. Just trusted God and went with it. What an opening there could be into somebody's world. Wouldn't that be an exciting way to live? Rather than feeling every day I've got to get up and somehow try and save this world for Jesus, and I don't know how, but actually, okay, God, let me step back. You're working in this world. Let me get in tune with what you're doing. Let me respond to your promptings. How much more um, exciting and successful in the best possible sense do you think that would be? And how many of you have done that and known when it really works, when you felt it and you've gone with it, and it's an awesome moment, isn't it? Awesome. It's an amazing moment when you go with God's spirit and some fantastic things can happen. So let's be people that do what we can do with the resources that we've got and also that we follow and are brave enough and courageous enough and not hesitate too much to just go with God's promptings. Thirdly, let's become flint-faced. One of my favourite verses in the Bible, Isaiah 50 verse 7. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint. Flint in these days was the hardest possible stone you could find and it's saying I've set my face like flint. I will not be dissuaded. I will not be distracted. I have set my course. I've set my face like flint on this purpose and in a really minor way I did this over an issue about seven or eight years ago. I over a period of about three weeks um, had a number of encounters with big issue sellers and um, some were local, some were in London, and one particularly profound conversation that me and a friend of mine had in Amsterdam. And uh, f- phenomenal kind of period where I just seemed to keep encountering big issue sellers and having amazing conversations with them. And I made a decision that day, because I felt God prompted me to, that every time I saw a big issue seller, I was going to A, buy them, uh, buy a big issue off them for more than the value of the whatever they sell them for. I couldn't even tell you what they give them, because I always give them more. So buy a big issue, b- give them more, ask them their name, and try to have at least a, a conversation with them. Even if it's, high, hope your day's going I hope you get through the rest of your bundle. And I made a decision there, and I have been flint-faced about that decision almost to about ninety-five percent rate. You know, in the sense there have been a couple of occasions when I haven't. If I've had the money, obviously, if I haven't had it, I haven't. But if I've had money in my purse, and I've passed, I've always gone and approached them and said hi to them and tried to give them value and worth and buy something because that is their way of starting to have a job. And I've been flint-faced about that. I'd like to say I was flint-faced about a lot of other things, but I can't. That's one of my good stories. But that's something I have been flint-faced about. And I want to encourage you this morning. Perhaps God is prompting you about something or speaking it up. Become flint-faced about it. Because then incredible things can happen. And I think with this, sometimes we have to make a decision in this nice, cosy, warm Christian church environment that we are going to be people that share, that walk across the room, that are practical helps to people, that are sharing the gospel. And we make a decision here. Well, let's be flint-faced about it. Not when the heat magazine it seems more interesting. And suddenly our decision is, uh, is well, I said yes, but now I'm a no. Jesus has let your yes be yes and your no be no. Let's be flint-faced people. And I think one of the projects that, that is big for all of us at the moment is the third place, isn't it, with the new building project. You know, And I, I honor Leon for his flint-facedness about that project. It is a massive, massive project. And I think the further we get into it, the bigger it becomes. It has endless challenges and exciting moments and, you know, Fress, fretful moments and, but Leon and the rest of the elders that, and, and us as a church we are becoming aren't we flint faced about it we have set our face towards it we have put money behind it haven't we that's flint facedness isn't it because we've dug into our pockets and put money behind it and we need to continue don't we to be flint faced about it not well we're a, a bit of a way in now and well can't be bothered now That's not what God wants of this church, is it? Or what he wants of this dream, this desire that he's downloaded to us. We need to be flint-faced about some of the stuff that God has spoken into and over our lives. So last couple of things. Just two quick pointers really. Important sharing for busy people. It always comes down for me to, to these two ways and I use these words a lot so they're not that fresh. But demonstration and declaration we need to pe- be people that have the capacity in our busy lives to be able to demonstrate good news to people and we've got a great opportunity coming up you should have had a, a colorful trio of papers in your update sheets this week and in a couple of weeks time on october the 31st when george snyman is coming which we've mentioned already from hands at work yes we wa- we are partnering with hands at work and yes we're seeing incredible things happen overseas in africa you know, when I've been in Zambia, I've met kids who eat one eat once in every seven days. That's not that unusual in Africa. You meet kids at the school there and they eat once every seven days. And that's Africa. And you think, well, that's Africa. But do you know what I mean? Do you know what I want to say? Is that here locally, I meet people that come into the food bank who are doing very similar things. The food bank team will tell you that we are meeting people that eat once every four days or five days. It's not just an Africa problem. And so we as a church are bountiful in the resources that we've got and we want to be creative about that. And so in two weeks time we're going to have a bit of a harvest, we don't normally do harvest do we at Zion, but we're going to have a bit of a harvest bring, bring your aubergines as I've seen this week, come from the food bank, obviously that's come from a school, massive aubergines. Not sure what we're going to do with those at the food bank but we have got a big box of massive aubergines and I'm sure that's come from a primary school and some little kid has gone in with his aubergine. But we're going to have a bit of a harvest gathering on two weeks' time, October the 31st. So you have a choice here, again, according to your ability. It might be that you can only, you know, resourcefully, you can only provide a breakfast for somebody. Fantastic. You're a one-bag kind of person, and that's brilliant because that's all that God expects of you. With your current economic situation, the current pressures that you're under, you can, you can provide a breakfast for somebody. And how fantastic was that? Because someone gets to eat breakfast that day that wouldn't if you hadn't contributed or it might be that you can do lunch. Maybe a little—you know—you've got a little bit more than some of us, and you can do lunch. Or maybe you've got loads of dosh, and you can bring a dinner in. But here's an option for you to respond to your ability. And on two weeks' time, days, we are going to bring all of the food to the nine o'clock and eleven. And we're going to stack it all up here. We've got some creative ideas of that, and we want to see a real harvest of food come in—breakfast, lunch, and dinner—for people that don't often eat. And if you eat more than... Once every four days, you've probably got to put capacity to provide one of these. So let's do something practical. Let's share in the resources that we've got in a couple of weeks' time and let's demonstrate to people the goodness of God. And finally, we still, in all of that, I can't but say this, we still have to be people that declare the good news. Romans says, How can they call? on the one unless they believe in him how can they believe unless they've heard how can they hear unless someone tells them we still need to be people that are speaking and proclaiming and declaring the good news and I know we've already mentioned the Chilean minor thing and I'm sure many of you have been gripped by this but well, what an incredible picture of a group of people that persevered to bring good news to somebody you know plan a didn't work did it the shaft didn't go down, so they went to plan B. And sometimes you may talk to people and you think, well, I've had that conversation once and it went nowhere. Well, go to plan B, have another go. You don't know which of those shafts is going to suddenly make an impact and an inroad into somebody's spiritual life. We need to be people that persevere. We need to be people that don't give up. You know, I saw the first miner come out uh, on later footage. And I can imagine what it would be like if they said, well, we've got one out. That'll do. Put the lid on. And God's not like that, is he? The Bible says that God's heart is that none should perish. God keeps going until the last person is out. The last person is rescued. The last lost person who's in darkness comes into an experience of light. The person for me that's the hero in the story is the rescuer. He was the first person to go down in the capsule. He was the first person to travel all that way in that little claustrophobic capsule. And then also he was the very last person to come out. 26 minutes, he was underground all by himself. I kept thinking, I hope he's thinking, please make sure you've got the head count right. I'm still (laughs) down here. Apparently, when he came out, the president said to him, "Uh, Manuel, did you leave everything tidy down there? (laughs) To which he replied, I think I forgot to switch the light off. (laughs) And I want to say, may we not be people who, because of our business, have forgetfully switched the light off. May we instead be people who, despite our busyness, never switch the light off. May we as a church and as individuals be camp hope for other people. You as an individual carry hope. We as a church carry hope. We have to have the capacity, despite our busyness, to be able to rescue lives practically or proclamationally. The good news, as we've heard from Leon this morning, is way bigger than we ever you know, imagine, and it has the capacity to rescue lives. We're just going to sh- show a short couple of minutes of DVT clip. It's some images from the Chilean miners. There's a pic, there's some image of the first miner out. There's an image of the last miner out. And you'll feel the, the exuberation. And the Bible says when one person comes to know God, when one sinner repents, the whole of the cosmos celebrates. And we get a little inkling on this DVD of the celebration, uh, a little moment in time, but that would be magnified through the heavenlies when one person comes to faith in Jesus Christ let's watch the screen.